a sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Amen. We started, uh, you can be seated. We started doing that Amazing Grace at the end when, uh, that's been a long time ago when uh, we started that when Pastor Neil, Pastor Edson was here. I think he's the one taught me how to do that, yeah. All right, Brother Ricky, come on. Like sitting in front of a bunch of strangers. We haven't been here for several weeks, have we? Oh. Okay. <laughs> Any prayer request? Go ahead, yep. Anybody else? Anybody else? <sighs> Excuse me. I asked Teddy to come here and preach. I'd leave back there and take a nap, but he wouldn't do it. So. Okay. Any other prayer requests? Tyler? Anybody else? And look at the prayer request here. Remember Patricia Dalton. Good to see Kay Locke here this morning. That was that was good to see her. Anybody else? Nope. Okay, well let's pray for uh, Tuesday. Tuesday's election day. And if everything goes as they predict it to be, <laughs> we may have a new, whole new House and Senate going on. Uh, they're figuring that the they may take 60 seats in the Senate. If that's good, Biden's pretty much done for. But we don't know, huh? Wayne, yeah, have you talked to Wayne? Okay. <laughs> well, he he he's like me. You don't go unless you have to. 
I don't like doctors. Okay. All right. All right. Anybody else? All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get started. Get out here early. How's that sound? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you tonight, love, Father, that you, uh, as you're with us tonight, we just ask that you uh, uh, will help us to uh, uh, study your word, to uh, learn about you and the things of, of your word and your scripture. Uh, Father, these requests we lift up to you today for Tyler and for, for Charlie and Donna and the illnesses they are uh, dealing with and their procedures that they're recovering from. Uh, for Wayne and his sickness, Lord, we just lift him up. Uh, Lord, we lift up Joanne for her back and, and the illnesses she is having. Uh, Lord, we just uh, lift her up and help her. Uh, for Teddy's stepmom, Lord, we just lift her up and just ask for prayer on her. Father, we need healing hand from you on a lot of people and a, and a lot of things, Lord. We just need a, a, a gracious uh, blessing from you. Uh, Lord, not only just for these, but uh, pretty much everyone that, that we know, Father. Everyone has problems. We all uh, deal with things that we have to uh, uh, handle here on this earth and and Lord, but we want to give them to you and ask you to just uh, deal with them and, and take care of them, and we know you will. Father, we thank you tonight. We just ask you to bless and, and help in everything that we do tonight. Watch over us and keep us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we are going to try to get through <coughs> excuse me, Hosea in the next two or three weeks. Uh, Pastor has got some things he's going to be moving around and changing and some ideas he's got going and and so we're going to try to get through this so if i go too quick just bear with me okay <laughs> okay uh but we're going to try to get through hosea i'm going to try to get through at least a couple each week and hopefully uh we may not get done but that's okay uh if you still confused or you still want to learn about hosea just go to the bible it'll say it all right <laughs> Okay, so turn your Bible to chapter 7 of Hosea. Um, just kind of a recap, chapter 6. Uh, the Israelites have gotten in, themselves into a uh, uh, deep hole, and uh, they, uh, in verse 1 and 2, they decide that they're going to call upon the Lord, and, and they know that he can save them, he can lift them up, he can uh, heal them of uh, all that they've done. Uh, but as we looked at these verses, even though they give lip service to God, they didn't mean them. They were not sincere. Uh, we all get that way sometimes. You ever heard anybody say, well, Lord, if, if you'll get me out of this predicament, uh, I, I won't do it no more, or, or I'll, I'll go to church, or I'll do something for you. Um, but then when God does bring them out of that, they uh, pretty much forget about it, and they don't do as as God says, right? They don't follow through in their, their promise to him. And that's the way these Israelites uh, were dealing. They were coming, they, was, they believed in God, they knew he was there, but they didn't have a personal relationship. They didn't have that uh, confidence that he was going to do it. But as, as a lot of preachers talk about, you know, God, to a lot of people, God is just a genie. Uh, he will 
give you the blessings that he asked, you asked for, and then you go on about your business. But he, that's not the way he is. But these Israelites were thinking, well, if we go back to God and we just ask him and, and uh, he'll revive us, he'll lift us up again. Uh, but chapter 7, <coughs> God, excuse me, God continues to uh, indict or uh, accuse uh, and, and deal with Israel on their sins, on their uh, uh, ideology and their uh, hypocrisy and their, their uh, uh, basically just uh, not following the laws that he had given them. So we start in verse 7, or chapter 7. I'll just read a few of the verses and we'll kind of go through it. He said, when I would have healed Israel, then iniquity of Ephraim was discovered and the wickedness of Samaria, for they committed falsehood. And the thief cometh in and the troop of robbers spoiled without. <coughs> and they considered not in their heart that I remember all their wickedness. And now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. They make the king glad in their wickedness and the princes with their lies. They are all adulterers, as an oven heated by the baker who ceases uh, from raising after, after he had kneaded the dough until it is leavened. In the day of our king, the princes have made sick, him sick with bottles of wine. He stretched out his hand with sorcerers, scorners, for they have made ready their heart like an oven. While they lie in wait, their baker sleepeth all the night. In the morning it burneth as a flaming fire. They are all hot as an oven, and have devoured their judges. All their kings are fallen. There is none among them that calleth upon me. Ephraim, he hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers have devoured his strength, and he knoweth it not. Yea, gray hairs are here. And there upon him, yet he knoweth not. And the pride of Israel testifieth to his face, and they do not return to the Lord their God, nor seek him for all this. Ephraim also is like a silly dove without heart. They call to Egypt. They go to Assyria. In these passages, uh, Hosea is uh, explaining that God is still uh, angry with Israel and Judah and Samaria. Uh, he dealing, he's still going to deal with them. Through the entire book of Hosea, he deals with them. Uh, there's not one part in it that he does not deal with them. He says he will heal them. He says he will bring them back. But that bringing back will take place centuries from now, according to uh, Scripture. And he says that they have committed falsehood, and they are thieves, and their troops are robbers. They spoil without. Uh, he says here when he could have healed Israel as a nation and restored them, perhaps united them with the southern kingdom, even a worse sin comes along. He said Ephraim now has showed its head, and there's a new sin going on in it. Uh, wickedness continued to fester over the centuries. Uh, God has found this nation to be a fraud, to be deception, and thrive. I can't speak. Thievery, <laughs> excuse me, I'm sorry, and violent robbers. When spiritual apostasy flourishes, all manner of other sins grow up after it. Uh, they have gotten to the point where 
they no longer are even looking toward God. They are going into even deeper sins. He says, I see their wickedness. I would have healed them, he says, uh, but they got into even worse stuff. You see, uh, uh, Israel and Judah and them they have, have gotten into sin so bad that they want God's healing, but they don't want to follow through with it. They want God to bless them and heal them and lift them up, but they don't want to follow through with their end of it. You see, when, when we ask God to bless us and to heal us from certain things, you know what, there's a demand that God wants. And that, got, that demand is that we follow through and obey him. And they are going into a consequence here because he says he will destroy them, not physically, he will not annihilate them. God says he will always leave a remnant of Israel. But he goes on to, and he says, just like in verse 8, he said, Ephraim, he had mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Now, this is kind of a funny uh, way of saying something, but they have gone into these other nations and mingled themselves with them. They've taken wives of these idolaters and these, these pagan gods, the Assyrians and both Egypt. And they've now mixed with them. He says, they're like a cake. Are any bakers in here? Yeah, I know Miss Shirley bakes. You bake? You bake a cake, what do you have to do with it? You have to turn it over, right? Right? I, I don't know. I'm not a baker, I guess. But according to this, the cakes that they made, is, is they put it in the oven, and the baker would go to sleep that night because the fire would be low enough that it would bake it, but he would have to get up in the morning and he'd flip it over. God says here in the Word in Hosea that it, they're like the cake. They're burnt on one side, but they're soft on the other because they're not cooked yet. They haven't been flipped over. How many of you cook a pancake and just leave it on one side and then put it in the plate? It's going to be soggy, right? He's, he's talking about these people, uh, and he's talking about their, their Christian walk. This is what I get from it. And I see it this way. I, I picture coming into church on Sunday morning, you know, portraying this this strong Christian. This man who, who, who prays on a daily basis, who, who reads his Bible, who studies. And you can stand and talk with him and, and he can tell you Scripture. He, he, he portrays that strong Christian. He portrays that man who, who really gets into the Word. But then, when he's out there alone and someone speaks to him, He's this little timid guy that, oh, I, I don't want to talk about that. Uh, that, that you know, I've, I've got other things to do. I don't want to go there. See, that, that cake, he's, these people were like those. They're, they're portraying these, these uh, um, God-fearers. They're portraying these, these Jews that are so religious. But on the inside, they're just a bunch of soft dough. They have nothing. They couldn't speak to you on that subject. They couldn't uh, do the things that God wanted them to do. He says they were like that cake that the baker made. He says, when they go, when they shall go, I will spread me net, my net over them. 
I will bring them down to like the fowls of heaven. I will chastise them as their congregation has heard. Because he then told them this. He said, Woe unto them, for they have fled from me. Destruction unto them, because they have transgressed against me. I have redeemed them, yet they have spoken lies against me. God has given his salvation to everyone. You've got to accept it. Those who don't accept it and decide, you know, I don't want all that, they're rejecting God. But you know, in Scripture, in the New Testament, God demands our obedience from him. He demands it from every human being that walks face the earth. But we don't obey. Okay? He says that. He goes on and he says that, you know, in verse, uh, I've lost my place here. In verse 5 to 7, Ephraim is mixed with uh, his, uh, Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers have devoured his strength. He knoweth it not. The Assyrians uh, have come in. They're starting to interfere with them. Uh, the Hebrews, the, the, the Israel is, is going to one country, one nation, and saying, we need help. Uh, we'll pay you tribute to protect us. And then they turn around and go to the other country that they need protection from and say, uh, we need protection from them. They're, they're two-faced. Uh, it says here in one scripture that God called them fools. God tells us in the New Testament not to call anybody a fool, right? But he says he calls them fools. He says they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea. He said they have transgressed against me. They have, I have redeemed them. See, the Jews were God's people. Israel, Judah, they were God's chosen people. He has chosen them to be his, his special people. But through all this, they have, re, they have uh, abandoned him, even though he has strengthened them, even though he has, has bound them into his own life, or his own, um, trying to think one thing, his own character. They abandon him. They don't want nothing to do with him. They're looking for their help somewhere else. He says, and they had not cried unto me with their hearts. Go back to verse uh, chapter 6. They said, let's go to God. Let's look to him. He'll heal us. But then God says, you know what? They've not called on me. They've not come to me. He said, they have not cried unto me in their heart when they howled upon their bed. They assembled themselves for corn and wine, and they rebel against me. Though I have bound and strengthened their arms, yet do they imagine mischief against me. They return, but not to the Most High. They are like a deceitful bow. And what he means by that is a, a bow and arrow. He says, it looks perfect hanging on the wall, but when you pull the string back, it, there's no strength in it. There's no stretch to it. He said, they are like a deceitful bow. Their princes shall fall by the sword for the rage of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. We're going to see here in chapter 8, God says, I will put them back in captivity. Because God has given them everything they have, just like he's given us. And what do we do with it? They have turned their backs on him. They have decided to, to follow the pagans. 
uh, the, the false gods. They have followed the, uh, the other religions of the other nations. And God says, they don't realize I gave them everything. We're the same way. God has given us everything. God is so sovereign over us. Everything we have, he gave. It's his. But he's given it to us to take care of. But what do we do with it? You know, we always think that if we come across a problem or something happened in our lives, we can take care of it. You know, if we have a financial problem, uh, i got a bill to pay, uh, you know, I need to go out and, and, and get some money so I can pay that bill. Pray. God says, I give it to you. I supply everything you need. If you don't have it, it's because you probably don't need it. If you don't have it, it's probably because you've not asked God for it. I can remember when I first got saved. Pastor Edson, pastor in here, and, and uh, I wanted to learn about the Bible. I wanted to to go to Bible college or Bible school. And I really couldn't afford to go to a college. I had to work and take care of my family. So he suggested, well, Liberty has a, a, a Bible school or uh, what was it called at that time? Bible something, I can't remember. But it was a it was correspondence course. It, wasn't, it was a two-year correspondence course because now it would be all online. Back then they didn't have online, okay? That was 88, so you know how far back that goes. Okay, so what they would do is I would sign up for it and put my application in the thing, and they would send me the books and the tapes. They had cassettes back in. Y'all remember what those were? Okay. <laughs> they had cassettes back in. They would send those. I would listen to them, fill out the paperwork, read the books, whatever. Well, when I signed up for it, you had to put in, I think it was a, a $50 processing fee. You had that, uh, your first payment to them was, was $50. So I'd send it in, and they sent me the thing to fill out and send it in. And I kept thinking, I don't have 50 bucks. I don't have the money to send in to that. Uh, so I couldn't get going on it. So I had to wait, so I prayed about it. And I prayed, and Brenda prayed, and I really wanted to do this. Well, we got a, the mail came in one day, and I had to have the payment in, I think, in about four days. And the mail run and went to the mailbox, and there was a check from the state of Virginia. And what is this? Well, this was after taxes had ever been paid, right? Open it up. Apparently, we didn't file our taxes properly, and I got $60 back. <laughs> so guess what? God supplied that $50 I need to get in there. But this is what he's telling them. He says, I have supplied everything they need, even the strength of their armies. And they've rejected me. And they're being arrogant about it. Let's go on into chapter 8. He says, the judgment comes as an eagle. He says, set the trumpet to thy mouth. He said, he shall come as an eagle against the house. He's talking about setting the trumpet. When they, when they sound the trumpet in Israel... It's a warning sign. Uh, the, what do they call them things? The shofar, shofars, those big curly horns, the goat horns or whatever. They, they, it, it's a warning. It said, God caused Hosea to lift up his voice like a trumpet. Okay? 
where the common mean of signaling or warning the Old Testament Israel. The one coming as an eagle against the house of the Lord is likely the reference to the Assyrian invasion that's going to happen. He's going to bring that to them. He said, warn them, Hosea, I'm going to bring an invasion. The Assyrians are going to come down on top of you. He said, the Lord is it's a reference to Israel as a whole, or perhaps even Bethel, it literally means the house of God. There were two places that, that the, uh, Israel would, would worship. One was in Bethel, and one was in Dan. And they had golden calves. This was their God. This was their representation of God, was these golden calves. Just like Moses in the Old Testament had, uh, or not Moses, but Aaron made the golden calf for the Israelites, okay, in the desert. There was two places, Bethel and Dan. Well, Bethel means house of God. So he says uh, it's a reference to them and to probably this one place. In short, the warning is a judgment against the northern kingdom because of their flagrant idolatry by which they transgressed God's covenant and his law. The king of Assyria descended upon the northern kingdom. It was with a swiftness and strength like an eagle. He goes on. He said, they transgressed my covenant. They trespassed against my law. Israel shall cry unto me, my God, we know thee. In the New Testament, in, in the book of Revelation, God says that they will call out, my God, my God. And he says he won't hear them. He says, Israel hath cast off a thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. And their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. He says that they have created a, a government system with their kings, with their idols, and with their, their fake gods. Didn't even consult me. You know, it was back in, in the, the Older Testament, uh, back in, uh, I think it's back in First um, uh, and Second Kings, maybe, somewhere in here. I can't remember. Anyway, they wanted a god, or that night. They wanted a king. They wanted a god. They wanted a king. And so God says, okay, I'll give you a king. And they gave him Saul. Or they gave him, uh, um, Saul. Thank you. <laughs> I can't think of the name. They gave him, he gave him Saul. Well, what did Saul do? At first, he started out, he was a good king, but then what happened? He got arrogant. He got powerful. Kind of like some of the Democrats we got today, right? They want all that power. Okay? But he said they have set up this, this government system without me even involved in it. They have taken all the gold and silver and made idols out of it. He said, the calves of Samaria have cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against thee. How long will it be ere that they, retain, they attain to innocence? How long, God, will you let them be innocent? Hosea asked this question. How long will you be innocent? let them be innocent, God? How long will you let them go on and on and on before you finally do something? From Israel was it also the workmen made it, 
Therefore it is not of God, but of the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. You ever heard that phrase? You sowed it, you're going to reap it. New Testament speaks up too. Jesus spoke of that. And that's what he's talking about here. What they have sown, what they have created with their own hands, what their workman has created out of flesh, that's what they're going to reap from. And it's not going to be good. He goes on, he said, They will sow like the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stock, the bud shall yield no meal. And if it does yield, the stranger is going to swallow it up. He's talking about the invasion of Assyria. Because of their, their paganism, because of their idolatry, because of their sin against God, he's going to send invasion into them, and Assyria is going to overtake them. He goes on to say, Israel shall be swallowed up. Now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel within is no pleasure. A broken vessel. They're going to be a broken vessel among the Gentiles. For they are gone up to Assyria as a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. Yea, they, though they have hired among the nations, now will I gather them and they shall sorrow a little for the burden of the king of princes. They have decided we can't trust God. They've rejected that, so they decided to go to the Assyrians and say, we need your help. We want you to take care of us. And then when the Assyrians decide they're going to take over completely, they go to somebody else, another nation, and say, oh, we need your help against the Assyrians. They're playing both fields. They're trying to cover their bases. God says that ain't going to work out for you. Said, because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto them sin. Pastor was talking about this morning about sin. Sin deadens you. It, it, it gets so deep into you that you basically, uh, you rot. I spoke out at Beaver Creek last week, or well, it was last week, last week, last Sunday. And my message with them was basically the same thing. When sin gets into you, it becomes rot. It's just like an apple. It sits on your counter. It sits there, and it rots, and it rots, and it rots, and rots. You've got to eat it before it does that. Okay? And that's what happened to sin. And that's what these people were doing. They were so far into their sin, they were going to other countries. It would be like, if I committed a sin, instead of going to God and asking for forgiveness, I would go down here to somebody on the street and say, uh, would you help me get my sins forgiven? What do they got to do with it? They're not involved. And that's what these guys were doing. That's what the uh, Israelites were doing. They were going to other people wanting help from them instead of turning to God. We do that every day. Do we not have a problem in our life? We, we deal with something. We don't take it to God. We, we just don't think about it, do we? You know, it's like we talk about somebody going to the doctor. Well, Wayne decided to go to the doctor. I'm like that. I don't want to go to the doctor unless I have to go to the doctor. Okay? I mean, when I get to the point where I am hurting so bad, then I will. I had a, a place on my foot a few weeks ago. And I was walking around, ah, 
all like that. I walked two weeks, something like that. Finally, Brenda told me, she said, you need to go to the doctor's. I said, well, I will when I get ready to, you know. I just happened to have a doctor's appointment because it was a follow-up for my blood test. And so while I was there, I said, well, I'll go ahead and have him look at it. At first, he thought it was just a corn, you know, a hard spot on my foot. But then he shined the light up to it, or on it, said, hmm, it was, a, it was a sore, it was an infection. Well, I'd already gone two weeks with, you know, not looking at it, you know, I just walked around. So I finally, he finally gave me some medicine and it healed up. But I'm that stubborn, okay? And this is what these people were, they were so stubborn, they're waiting till that final moment to where they have to go to God before they do it. They're going to everybody else except him. Verse 12, in chapter 8, he says, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as strange. They sacrificed flesh for the sacrifices of mine offering, and he eat it, but the Lord accepted it not, accepted them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt. In verse 12 and 13, he says to him, he's, he's writing to him, he says, I have given them all my laws. I've given them my laws, I've given my commandments, my precepts, everything I have. We've got everything that God wants us to have right here. All of it. There's nothing new coming around. This is it. He says, I've given them all my laws, but they kind of strange. They, kind of, they don't know what it is. They have no idea what my laws are. Kind of like us before we were Christian, before we got saved. I can think back when I was a kid, before I got saved. All the things I did, I didn't know anything about God. Now, don't get me wrong. Well, I went to a Baptist church when I was a kid. I didn't learn anything, but I went. Went to the Salvation Army when I was a kid. Didn't learn anything, but I went. Went with my uncle to... A Lutheran church one time, uh, my family were, you know, I was baptized the Catholic when I was a baby, and my sister and brother went to Catholic school. I didn't know anything. That wasn't what I wanted. I, did, I didn't concern myself with that. We don't do that when we're non-Christian, when we're unsaved, when we're unbelievers. We don't concern ourselves with it. And that's, that's why we, God says, I will deal with you. We don't concern ourselves. How many of you, when you were four years old, said, I'm going to get saved? We didn't, did we? No. We had more important things to do. It's like high school. I had more important things to do in high school than to go to church. I had a car. I had a girlfriend. I had friends. I had more important things to do. But you know what? After I got saved, the Word spoke to me and decided, you know what? I got more important things to do. Right here. So he goes on. He says, They continued to sacrifice to me, but I ain't taking it. How many times have we ever prayed to God and thought, He ain't listening? And then we realize maybe we should ask for forgiveness first before we ask what we want or what we need. Verse 14 of chapter 8, he says, For Israel hath forgotten his Maker. He's forgotten who made him and built his temples. And Judah had multiplied fences and cities. 
but I will send a fire upon his cities, and I shall devour the palaces thereof. God says, and it happened later on, that Israel, because God said here, he says, I shall return them to Egypt. That's what they wanted. These people, wanted, these Israelites, wanted to go back to Egypt because they were safe there. We, we, you know, it's a big thing now. You're not supposed to talk about slavery, right? It, it's, oh, slavery was a bad thing. And, and it's true, it is. But if you read the stories of slavery after they were freed, after the emancipation, right, some slaves stayed on the farms. Why? Because they were well taken care of. Now, not all of them were. Some of them were, were beaten and, and scored and all things like that. But a lot of them, when they were freed, they stayed on the farms. You know, Thomas Jefferson... When the free, he had slaves, but when they were freed, almost 90% of his slaves stayed there. Why? Because he took care of them. He didn't beat them, he didn't sell them off, he didn't separate the family. He took care of them. And they knew that if we stay here, we'll stay together, we'll have a home, we'll have food, we'll have a job, we'll be taken care of. A lot of them weren't that way. Some of them lived on farms and plantations that, that they got beat every day. But it's like the Jews here. They wanted to go back to Israel. Remember in, in the book of Genesis when they were in the wilderness, in the Exodus, when they were in the wilderness, what did they want to do after a few days out there? They wanted to return back to Egypt because they know in Egypt they had safety. And here in, in Exodus they were out in the middle of nowhere. They were out in the desert. But he said they want to return to Egypt. And he says that Judah, or Israel, has forgotten their maker. They've forgotten who created them. They've forgotten who gave them their life, and their breath. How many times do we go through the day and not even think about God? You know, we go to work, or, well, I don't, I'm retired. Well, I work for Brenda. <laughs> But you go to work and, you, and you, you do your job. How many times in your mind do you think about God? We were talking at the men's breakfast on Friday morning about prayer, about non, not ceasing to pray. And you think, well, I don't have time to pray. I, I, I'm on my job. I'm, I'm doing this. You know. you know what? Prayer is up here and in here. It's not a physical thing you have to stop and, you know, it, it's not like the Muslims where you have to stop it four or five times a day, get down on your little rug and face the east and do all your little things. We can pray up here. We can pray right here. We don't have to physically do something. We can think about it. And they couldn't even think about that. They couldn't even remember their God, their maker. He said they built temples. Judah was building up their cities. Israel, the northern kingdom, wanted to go back to Egypt. They knew they were protected there. They knew they had stuff there. There was food there. Judah decided, no, we're going to be arrogant. We're going to build that wall back up. We're going to build our fortresses and keep everything out. It's kind of like a Christian. If, you know, I'm going to put this wall around me, and I'm going to stay inside this wall. I think sometimes 
you watch the news, and sometimes I'll think about it, I'll think, you know what, I just want to stay in my own little world, forget about everything that's outside of Carroll County, leave it out there. I just want to stay right here. Put a wall up around my house and tell everybody just stay out. What does that do with you? You know what? I'll live my life and you live yours. The problem is, without that, those other people, without being part of the world, not not talking about the secular world, I'm talking about the Christian world, not being part of that, we lose a lot. God says we need to be in the world, but not of the world. But he says Judah was building their city. They were trying to protect themselves. They wanted to make sure that nobody could come against them. They were not only blocking out the enemy, they were blocking out God. Egypt, Israel wanted to go back to, to Egypt and where they were safe, where they knew there was protection. Not go to God, but go to Egypt. See, the whole... The whole idea behind these people were they didn't want God involved. They wanted what they had, they wanted what they wanted, but they didn't want God involved in it. And that's, that's the picture of a lot of, of the unbelievers, the unsaved. They, how many times have you ever heard somebody go, not OMG, I'm talking literally being in a situation and holler for God. My God, please. They, they cry to him. But you know what? Once they cry to him and he helps them, what happens? They forget about it. They don't keep those promises that they made to him when, they, when he got them out of it. He says he will take Israel, he will take Judah, and he will destroy them as far as spiritual-wise. He is not going to annihilate them. They're still here. It wasn't until, what was it, 1949, they became a nation again. They were a nation years, centuries ago, and God disbanded them and went everywhere. Trying to get through all this. I hope I got something through to you. I hope. <laughs> but we're trying to get through this. Uh, seven and eight was basically a combination. They, they, a lot of these chapters run together. Uh, they go right one after another. If if our Bible wasn't in chapters, we would have gone from 1 to 14 like that. <laughs> okay? Any questions? Any comments? Okay. Next week, we'll probably try to get through a couple more chapters. If we don't get through Hosea, it's okay. Pastor's got some things coming up by the end of the month. That he's going to change some things around and, and do some things. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I'll be teaching in here. We may have another class going on. I don't know. Uh, but we'll see if we can get through this before the end of the month, okay? All right. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for watching over us and keeping us. We thank you, Lord, for just being with us here tonight, that your Spirit is with us, your Spirit guides us and helps us. God, help us not to forget you not to uh, uh, ignore you, but bring everything to you as it comes along. God, you are sovereign. You know it all. You see it all. And you know you, you own it all. God, we ask you tonight just to watch over us, keep us safe, help us in all that we do.
Guide us, protect us, and lead us. In Jesus' precious name, amen.